Welcome to Scottish Independence Podcasts from the Indie Life Podcast team. This is one of our occasional Tuesday bonus episodes and it's a discussion between Jenny Eels from Random Scottish History and Marlene Halliday. If you listen to our podcast last Friday, Marlene and I were discussing the topic of land justice and we did question how come we've got to the stage where fewer than 500 people own over half of Scottish private land. And if you'd like to know more, go back and listen to that podcast. But the discussion with Jenny is fascinating because it teases out this is not a new issue by any means and the roots go far further back in our history. Today I'm sitting in the studio with Jenny Eels. And Jenny, thanks so much for coming in to talk to us. The background to us asking you if we could have a wee chat about issues around land reform, um, land ownership, is that Fiona and I did a, a programme this that went out just the other day about land reform. Well, the programme's called Land Justice. It's an episode of the Mibby's Eyes series. And one of the things we're talking about was the community up in Great Bernara can't even get to talk to their, that guy that owns the, the island. The, the flamingo land, it looks like the flamingos are, you know, trying to fly back in. There's another um, application to create flamingo land at the bottom end of at Balloch, the bottom end of Loch Lomond. So we're talking about all of that and we're talking about the ScotGov um, consultation that, that's on. I think it maybe is just closed now about their latest thinking on doing a bit more about land reform. But the point was, we, you know, we got to the end of the programme and, and Shane and I are thinking, well, we both know this fairly familiar meme, really, isn't it? That half of Scotland's owned by 500 people. The thing is, I thought, I don't really understand how we've got ourselves in this pickle. Anyway, we thought, we know someone who could probably help us understand it, that this a bit more. So what do you think? I mean, how is it that we've landed in this pickle? Back when Malcolm Canmore married the the Saxon princess, Margaret, St. Margaret, that invited a flood of Anglo-Saxon settlers, which took up the lowlands, mostly to the east, but the lowlands certainly pushing the the indigenous population north. There was uh, various attempts to export the language, the Gaelic language, the 1616 uh, Education Act for Scotland, sought to eradicate the the Irish language and convert the people to a more anglicised form of living, really, culture. Uh, It didn't work so much after the 1616. The children were learning to read the English words from the Bible, obviously, but they didn't actually grasp the meaning of the words in order to be conversant. That was solidified in the 1696 Education Act for Scotland, which made it so that the children had to be conversant in English. And at that point, they were sent maybe to the lowlands, maybe the north of England to complete their education in the hopes that they would then bring that language and culture back to their parents and families and and show them a different way of life. So it, it harks back to that, really. But of course, you had the 1715 and 1745 rebellions and vengeance seems to have become the name of the game at that point from a Westminster point of view. They wanted to stamp out any chance of those events happening again. Uh, They wanted a proper union. They wanted us to see ourselves as one country. So the landlords, after the union, well, you had the 1603 
James the Sixth and First went down to to London. He was followed by by lords and what have you down to the new seat of power. So they became absentee landowners, and we know what comes from a landowner that doesn't have to deal with yeah. their people. Uh, they have very little sympathy for them, almost zero empathy for their living situation or helping them really in any way. Then the 1707 Union, you had, uh, again, the seat of power was removed. It was put down to London and the lords that remained on the roll, they fled to London. They took their wealth and uh, they, they fled to London in a bid to, to be part of this new centralised government. That created more absentee landowners, which was really not what we needed. Um, again, the 15 and the 45 rebellions made it so that they were like, do you know what, I think we can do without this. We really need to put a firm thumb on these people. We need to get a grip of these people. But you also had the fact that these lords were experiencing for themselves a new culture down in London, a culture that was more akin with ostentatiousness and living to the max and vast expenditures of money and shows of wealth and it was really a, a kind of keeping up with the Joneses <laughs> as far as these lords were suddenly concerned. They had to meet the levels and expectations of their new English friends who had been living this way for a while. You have to um, remember that England came into the Union with £20 million worth of debt already where Scott had no public debt. The Scots were a very frugal population and tried very hard to live within their means. So suddenly they're experiencing this explosion of wealth and just a whole new society to be part of. The clearances that came off the back of that, the extirpation of the population, the depopulation of large swathes of Scotland, it wasn't just the Highlands, it was Scotland-wide and the islands. And I feel like that really rested in the fact that landowners were attempting to shirk responsibility. Yes. They wanted to suddenly have full freedom of the lands. They wanted to be able to invite their new rich friends up to these beautiful grounds that they owned, these luscious forests and rivers and and these estates that, that they held suddenly, that they were given the, the rights to because the original lairds did not have outright control of the land. Their role was to divvy up the land between the population in an equal kind of sense. They were arbitrators of uh, disputes, etc. If a dispute got more than the laird was able to contend with, it went to the king, who was the final decider of, of these issues. But the lairds did not have outright control of the land until after the Union and after no. the 45 Rebellion, at which point the Westminster government decided they were going to end this feudalism, so to speak, in Scotland, this uh, this way of living that had been the case for centuries in Scotland. And they gave these lairds outright control over the land. They made them landowners and told them that they now had full control to do as they wished with their land. So the improvements began. Improvements. So um, what I mean by shirking responsibility and attempting to shirk responsibility, I'll read you a quote from the Leaving Advertiser in Weems Gazette from 1912. Yeah. 
At one time, all the public burdens were borne by the land because landholders got the land from the state on certain conditions. These conditions were that they provided fighting material in time of war, that they kept up the church, that they looked after the poor and contributed to education. These were obligations in return for which they got the land. The burdens had been gradually shifted to other shoulders until today, in 1912, the land only paid 4% of taxation. By getting rid of the people, there were no people to go to a church that needed to be upkept. There were no people to need the education that they were to provide for them. There were no poor for them to do for. By getting rid of the people, they were getting rid of burdens. Yeah. That struck me as well, actually. I, I, if someone had said, well, what, what are the obligations of a, you know, a landowner maybe a couple of hundred years, 300 years back? I probably would have said something about, well, I think they do have to provide, you know, soldiers and if the king needs it. Um, but I didn't know that they also there was an actual obligation for those other things, you know, like, like yeah, looking after the poor, benefits, mm -hmm. church, education. A, they don't have to do it any longer, and B, they've got rid of some of the people who would have been there. So immediately their income has raised spectacularly, presumably. So to speak, um, the people actually paying rent were more profitable than uh, having animals supplant them. Sheep, cattle, grouse, land, uh, game land, really. Uh, the forests, the deer hunting, etc., the salmon in the rivers. Um, these were suddenly cordoned off. These, the people who had originally lived there were denied all right to forage, hunt, fish, and, and grow crops on the land where they had formerly and for generations had been able to do, yeah. to do that. They were um, shifted out onto the coasts of Scotland um, bar barren, actually unprofitable land at the time. Uh, so, so that's where a lot of the, the hardship came from during the clearances. It wasn't anything to do with potato famines. It was manufactured. Uh, these people were removed from the land that had sustained them for generations. Yeah. They tended to be shifted to the course if they rejected emigration. The landlords would pay for yeah. them to emigrate. Uh, they would also promise them that they would be provided for, that there were provisions already secured for them in Canada. It tended to be Quebec they ended up in. And, uh, well, I, ha I have a quote from the Quebec Times uh, that lambasts these landlords because Quebec was seeing thousands of people arriving from Scotland in a destitute condition barely alive yeah. after making it across yeah. the Atlantic and suddenly they're they're in this country, they're foreigners, everyone around them strangers, they've no help and and there's no provision has been made for them. It's, it was a lie purely to get them on the boats, mm -hmm. those of them that, that would agree to, to go on the boats. You were saying that actually having people on the land and paying rent was actually provided him more income than the shift over to sheep. I mean, it's presumably though, you can't reverse that. You can't, you know, even yeah. if a landowner realised that, you can't just go back because the villagers and the villagers have all gone. Um, again, it was manufactured. Um, so, well, 
you're, you're speaking of Bernera and uh, the North Uist removals were, uh, you're talking about how you get emotional looking at the land. There's no more emotional subject for me than researching the clearances. Seeing what these people went through is just heartbreaking. It's yeah. just awful. They were made poor by the landowner. They were made to not be able to pay their rents by minions of the landowners, factors, etc., would literally act against the population's best interests in order to give the Lord a reason to shift the people. So if the people suddenly couldn't pay their rent and they were finding themselves in arrears, the Lord was in this case in, in US in North US it was Lord MacDonald. Mm. He was able to then go to the authorities and say, I have a population yeah. that aren't paying their rents and I'm going to need some help evicting them. And the authorities would be like, Well, yeah, we'll help you with that. No problem. If they're not paying their rent, if they're not doing what they need to 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 sustain themselves. I'll read another quote for you just to um show you how it was manufactured. After the people resisted extirpation, the officers who wanted to take their cattle, they took the cattle to the market of Lochmaddy to sell in the hopes of getting more money than they were being offered in order to meet a promise they had made to Lord Macdonald that they would pay four pounds each after that market. But they found that none of the drovers would buy any beasts from Solace, the area of North Uist that they're talking about here as a factor had gone amongst the dealers and got them to promise that they would not deal with the Solace people. Since that period, having no money or meal, most of the people had been very ill off. Last year, the factor took the cattle for rent when they got no more than three pounds for cattle that were worth six. It was a manufactured state of right, affairs. They right. were keeping the people down in order to give them an excuse to shift them. Oh God, it just gets from bad to worse, doesn't it? It's just so awful that anyone can do that to their own to their own people. I mean, I can't remember now if I if I'm if I said anything on that program about my experience walking over um, Island of uh, Ulva. It was a few years. It was about five or six years, but actually, it's now been taken over by a community buyout. But uh, you know, I was walking over it, and you and, and it's heartbreaking. You know, you just it's this stunningly beautiful spot and then you can walk by a, a house and it's obvious then you think oh actually that's the mill because there's there's millstones just lying around on the on yeah. the land there and and it gets to you doesn't it, it is it's heartbreaking the way that they went about evicting the people was it was so strong-harmed they would get the people out of the houses then they would go and they would remove every article of belongings out the house which didn't amount to a huge amount yeah. maybe a few sparse pieces of furniture yeah. some clothing, yeah. bottles, pots, etc. They would remove everything they owned out the houses and then they would unroof the houses and the, to make them uninhabitable. Yeah. Yeah. And then they what were the people them. to do? Yeah. And Alva, there was a boat waiting in the down in the bay that was going to take them over to, to Canada. And and the guy who the factor who was doing it, he just took the cattle and everything away in payment for their passage. <laughs> it was just yeah. Oh. Yes. Let's move on. Um, let's move on. So this is mainly maybe from about second half of the 1800s. Scottish Land Reform Alliance was a lecture on land reform by a, a Liberal MP. 
Scottish land reform again. So that's maybe 1880s, 1890s. So what I noticed was, I think in nearly all of those extracts, a lot of them are from the Scotsman, yeah. some of them are from Hansard. By that stage, there's now a link being made between we need to do something about land reform yeah. and we're being stymied because of how Westminster Parliament works. So, so yeah. this time, these two things have come together. There's the, there's the thinking about home rule Home and rule, there's awareness yeah. about uh, land reform, and and um, and they're being brought together. You know, you've got you know yeah. people saying, so this is from the Scottish La- Reform Alliance, eighteen eighty six. So this is when the the been the Crofters Bill had gone through. Okay, that was a big step forward, mm-hmm. but it could have been a lot better than it was. And and uh, one of the members in the Scottish Land Reform Alliance is saying, um, he referred especially to the disappointing character of the Crofters Bill. In the House of uh, Commons, they had only a sham representation and they could be outvoted at any time by English members. He saw no remedy for the state of matters except in the establishment of a parliament in Scotland. So Scotland got a parliament of our own and got all our national matters done purely by Scotch members. We would never get the business of Scotland efficiently transacted so that's yeah. 1886 yeah. 150 years ago a bit more than oh, yeah. that and, and we're still talking about it now yeah I exactly mean, the same words were still being repeated in the 1920s uh, after ireland had um obtained their home rule and scotland failed in that regard but the scots mps they had been concerned they wanted uh, us lumped together with ireland in that regard they wanted that if home rule was to be granted to one, it was to be granted to both, because they knew that if Ireland should get it first, Scotland was going to find themselves far too underrepresented to be able to do it for themselves against the English representation in Parliament. And that fear was borne out. We, we only obtained our own Parliament again in 1999. Devolution settlement and the, the reopening of Parliament in 1999 was a good step forward, but it did not come near to the plethora of uh, determination we would have had had we have been able to succeed in home rule. Home rule would have given us greater powers for local legislation uh, and to do for ourselves out with Westminster. What home rule guaranteed was that Westminster would act as the imperial parliament only. So it would only decide on matters where countries of the United Kingdom were dealing with international bodies yeah. together. Yeah. They wouldn't deal with anything that was Scotland specific. So it would be like a form of evil for Scotland should we have got home rule. So technically with evil, what England were doing was giving themselves home rule, even though they don't have their own independent yeah. parliament. Yes, I was struck by that as well. And it seemed like it was completely clear to the people of you know that, that time, that late 1800s, early 1900s, yeah, what we need is four parliaments, yep. Welsh, Scottish, Eng- English and Irish, to look after their own matters, and then an imperial parliament. There were home rulers wanted every government uh, that dealt with any of our colonies to also be represented in parliament as well. Uh, that's, they that's... were very annoyed that they had no say within Westminster over what happened in their own countries that they were being legislated for from thousands of miles away in some in some instances <laughs> that's incredibly forward thinking isn't it and 
um, yeah. for, for have someone suggesting. I didn't even realise that had ever ever been mm -hmm. suggested. Um, yeah, the Reverend David McRae uh, was a big proponent of the colonies having full representation within Parliament. What, what's your feeling about where we are now with respect to uh, land reform for, for Scotland? Or what, maybe what we need to do next? Or? I mean, what we need to do next is obtain full self-determination for ourselves. That That's key to achieving everything that we need to achieve. While still attached to Westminster in any sense, we're not going to stop having these issues. We're not going to stop running up against barriers that no matter what subject I'm doing research for, a lot of times I'm on Google Maps having a look at the area that's been talked about. And too often I'm coming across these areas that are completely depleted of industry, of residences, of anything of use. There's huge swathes of Scotland yeah. with nothing on them that could have been put to far better use yeah. far sooner. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's depressing. It's yeah, depressing is what it is. Yeah. The fact that we're still seeing the, the remnants of what was happening in the 18th century in 2022 is it's very sad. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. Maybe just before we finish here, we should give people a little bit of an insight into uh, it was 1926. Mm. So it was Scottish night in the Parliament in Westminster, which makes you, mm. you know, it makes you think they're having a Cayley or something. Doesn't Scottish it? legislation in Westminster was not dealt with during the day. It often wasn't dealt with until after midnight when the <laughs> press had gone home. So that Scotland wasn't actually, uh, Scottish legislation at Westminster often wasn't reported on because the journalists weren't willing to stay up to hear it. Well, I, that is just astonishing. Anyway, this particular one was about land reform, education and housing. And, you know, it's 100 years ago, almost. It's exactly the same things that we're still talking about. And one of the Scottish MPs are saying, in many parts of Scotland, the people were driven off the land. Today, they had millions of acres of land lying idle, or at least converted into deer forests and kept in that idle condition for the sport of a few millionaires, all sounds so familiar, isn't it? Who in many instances did not belong to the country at all. People had to live under conditions that were a discredit to every government that had been in office. And mil while millions of acres were being reserved for a few wealthy men and women. And then this MP went on, he went on to say, it was the duty of every Scottish member to take every step to get the land restored to their own people and for their own use. And I don't know who any of these guys were back in 1926 who were MPs to Scotland, but some of them really spoke out, didn't they? And it was you, the Labour Party yes, members that, that, that were at yeah. the forefront of, yeah. of these uh, conversations, that the Tories felt like they were constantly being uh, put upon by the Labour faction because it was a very Tory way of life that they were looking to subvert. It was the, the landowners yeah. and the sportsmen yeah. and the people of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can see that. You can see that from that, the carry on the bit in that Hansard extra, because, you know, it's presumably it's the Tories um, who come back and say, oh, it's just absurd to, to say that you can do anything more better with that land. I and mean, it's just, you know, it's up in the mountains. Yeah. You could only kill, you know, hunt deer and probably by that time grouse as well. And they were wrong. And then someone else comes in and says, um, this is Johnson. So he's, 
he's a socialist. He's from Dundee, MP. He says, well, it's just absolute rubbish to state that the land covered by deer in Scotland was fit for nothing else. It's been disproved by, and then he goes on to quote umpteen royal commissions and yep. committees. So that sort of wrangling, it's still happening, isn't it? Doing what I do really has just proved to myself anyway and anyone that follows, his, follows the research that I post um, that Scotland and Scots have been fighting the exact same fights for centuries now. Well, hopefully we can manage to kind of break out of that circle and um, or at least make it more of a spiral up than where we where we are at the moment. But thanks very much for, for responding to our question and I hope we haven't pair of us aren't going away too depressed. But No, it's always a joy speaking with you, Marlene. <laughs> okay then. Thanks <laughs> thanks again. Thanks, Jenny. Well we hope you enjoyed that bonus episode. We'll be back again on Friday for our normal scheduled episode, which will be the Bits and Pieces Roundup for September. See you then. Thanks for listening. Bye now.